0: Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com.
1: I think the spreads off the interest rates and the cap rates have gotten tighter than they were pre-COVID. And what that tells me is sellers are holding out They're pricing in the future of lower interest rates. The cap rates have been very sticky, I've found, to move up. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast.
0: Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice
2: ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Slocum Reed, and today I am here with Chad Freeman. Chad is a returning guest of the podcast. Last time he was on, aired August 10th of 2022, episode 2899, Revitalizing Undervalued Mobile Home Parks, featuring Chad Freeman. He's based in Jacksonville, Florida. His company is MHP Investors. Current portfolio includes 150 mobile home spaces with 47 RV spaces, and he works as an airline pilot. Chad, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you've been working on this past year?
1: Sure. Well, you mentioned airline pilot. So
2: when I was a young airline
1: pilot, I guess I'm still kind of young, but when I was first starting with the airlines, I knew I needed something besides just airline income to rely on, especially because it was such an unstable area I was getting into career. So I started in real estate and I knew right out of college that I wanted real estate. So I started in residential real estate. And then fast forward to 2017, about 12 years later, is when I got into mobile home parks. So for the last six months or so since we've talked, we've been busy implementing some systems and operating procedures and just trying to deal with the portfolio that we have and do infill and just make it the best properties that we possibly can and fill out those plans while continuing to look for properties to purchase. We've got a syndication now open, so we've got active investors and we're raising money and purchasing more properties. And I found it's been pretty slow until just recently. I noticed a lot more activity picking up and talking to bankers and other brokers and whatnot, too. They're also feeling the same.
2: I want to ask you what the last year has felt like, Chad. So let's just put a pin on just recently right now so that our listeners, whenever they're listening, know what time period we're talking about. When is it that you started to see the market pick up with more opportunities and more brokers calling you? Just last month or so, maybe. We were
1: really slow on offers because we just weren't running into a lot that made sense. So we're
2: talking the month of May, 2023. Yeah, just recently I've noticed more. Gotcha. And you have one of those under contract, it sounds like.
1: Well, I've I've made quite a few offers lately for us. And then it sounds like we're going to end up with a partnership deal from just being on social media, I think, and just trying to increase our online presence. I've found people are starting to reach out to me more.
2: It's interesting, Chad. I am going to... Rag on a lot of multifamily investors, at least a little bit at your expenses. You're the one who has to be across from the interview hearing this from me. I've been calling myself an apartment owner operator on this podcast since late 2021. Operators in the title, I feel like I've been focused on operations the whole time. I hear a lot of investors nowadays saying that they are focused on their operations and it sounds like a cover for. I can't find anything to buy and I'm worried about my capital reserves and making it through whatever's coming. Does that resonate with you at all? Have you experienced the same thing in your conversations?
1: No, we're ready to buy. It's not an excuse. If anything was an excuse, cause we didn't have enough deal flow, but the mobile home park sector, it's a different animal than apartments. And I know a lot of people are having problems with all the frenzy of last year and the speculators and people making the front page of the wall street journal with defaults. That's not going on in the mobile home park sector. In fact, I just called our bank the other day, or one of the banks we like, and I said, we're making a bunch of offers. Are we still going to be able to get a loan? And the banker's answer was, it's business as usual. We've never had a single mobile home park loan
2: go bad ever. So they're happy to do more. Business as usual, just with higher interest rates, I'd imagine. Of course. Let's talk about the fluctuations in the market. We were on this podcast talking about a couple of value add or turnarounds you were doing with your parks last year. It sounds like the lending space hasn't changed with the exception of interest rates. Between summer of 2022 and now, the end of the spring, early summer 2023, what has changed in mobile Home Parks? Not a whole heck of a lot. I think the spreads off the interest
1: rates and the cap rates have gotten tighter than they were pre COVID. And what that tells me is sellers are holding out. They're pricing in the future of lower interest rates. The cap rates have been very sticky, I've found, to move up. So we were originally targeting a three point spread. That's really hard to find anymore. But with value add properties, we're happy with about a one-point spread on a lot of the properties we're seeing, but managing those seller expectations on their valuations from last year with this higher interest rate environment has been my toughest challenge.
2: You were getting three-point spreads between cap rate and interest rate. Why is it that you're now taking one-point spreads? Well, like
1: I was saying, I think the seller expectations have, have priced in possibly interest rates going back down, and it looks like inflation's under control, and Coming back down, I I saw the uh, latest consumer expenditures went up a little bit and kind of freaked people out. But I think the trend is still down and we're going to be all right, it looks like. So those cap rates have been stickier than I would have expected. And I think people are just holding their breath, waiting for a more stable environment and seeing what the feds are going to do and waiting to see if they're going to lower interest rates again. And if they do, then the sellers are correct. Those interest rates are temporary. And so the asset prices were harder to move
2: because of it. Are you projecting that interest rates will go down from here?
1: That's kind of my guess, but I don't pretend to do much future guessing. (laughs) The only thing I know about the future is it's uncertain. So if I had to venture a guess, I would think that they might raise it again here on June 14th, another quarter point, but
2: most of the raises have been done already. Chad, it sounds like there's just not as much meat on the bone for people who are looking to buy mobile home parks right now, based on what you're saying. Have you seen your business plan evolve over the last year or the return expectations that you're creating with investors?
1: No, I haven't. And maybe I gave the wrong impression. I think there's plenty of meat left on the bone. I think this is a fantastic sector. And we're just chugging along trying to do the same thing we've always been doing. we just got to A little bit of a pricing adjustment with the expectations on sellers, but even at that one point spread, everything we're looking at is mismanaged and value-add. So there's a ton of value-add opportunity out there for people to go revitalize old mismanaged parks, and that's where all the meat is at. That's where we made our most money is increasing NOI and adding value to the property, and that's still there.
2: That makes a lot of sense. And it's fairly disconnected from the day one cap rate or the cap rate that's being advertised by brokers. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Have you seen that the plan for how to optimize the performance of a park has changed at all? Or is it the same playbook that you've been running for the last several years now?
1: No, it's still the same playbook. We're just starting with a tighter margin. But the whole entire sector is undervalued, like crazy, just with lot rents being at an average of $300 a month or so. Fair market value, if you just adjust from the lot rents from the 60s, inflation's putting it up around $600 or so now today. So you have an opportunity to just go raise rents and bring it up to fair market value and quickly increase that internal cap rate and get away from that one-point spread. So we just look at it on an individual basis, and there's still plenty of opportunity to return the returns that we've been telling our investors that we're targeting.
2: Making another comparison to apartment investing here, and I know mobile home park investing is different, and that's kind of what I'm getting at here. What we've been hearing for the last several months from apartment investors is that the deals they see don't pencil. That brokers were still sending them opportunities, and they just couldn't find the ones worth Writing on. So, a couple of variables there. One is the volume of listings coming from brokers, and the second variable being whether or not those properties make sense for the investor's business plan. On those two variables, what change have you seen in the mobile home market? The volume of deals hitting your inbox, but also the worthiness of those deals, as it were, when it comes to you giving you the opportunity to force appreciation of that value?
1: The volume of the deals hasn't been there until recently. I've noticed it picking up more and anything that makes sense for us to do, we make an offer on it. So that's where I've seen a lot more deals lately. When I say that deals that we're offering on, because it just makes sense to do it. So maybe it's because of the Historic, like, end-of-the-year trend where things kind of slow down and pick up again in the springtime, I'm not sure, or just people are becoming more confident. But another thing that we can really compare with apartment complexes, where I think you'd have more opportunity with mobile home parks, is the barriers to entry. Because when I'm seeing apartment complexes, there's record high starts last year and attributable to the high single-family home prices, I think. just This year alone, there was over 500,000 completions coming online and another, some insane amount of starts, I forget. So with mobile home parks, there's huge barriers to entry. The governments won't let you build mobile home parks, basically. So we got no new starts coming on. There's an average of 100 going away every year and only 10 new builds. So I think that makes a big difference there as well.
0: We'll get back to the show. with a first, some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you looking to raise money from private investors to buy commercial real estate? SyndicationAttorneys.com is here to guide you every step of the way. At SyndicationAttorneys.com, they do more so you can do more. They create real estate syndication and fund offering documents, but they also educate you on the ins and outs of raising private money, ensure your offerings comply with securities laws, and help you structure fair deals with investors. So, everybody wins. With reasonable lump sum fees and over $2.75 billion in securities offerings created, syndicationattorneys.com has the expertise you need. But that's not all. Syndicationattorneys.com also offers weekly attorney led masterminds, networking, and strategy sessions through their pre syndication consulting agreements. To learn more, visit syndicationattorneys.com today to get started. This offer is not available to Florida residents. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital has never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five-year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital. TheBamCompanies.com.
2: Chad, I'd like to transition this conversation a bit and ask you, I kind of feel like I'm asking you for your secret sauce, but hopefully you can be specific enough to add value to our listeners while also being generic enough not to give away anything specific to the way MHP does things. I personally, as an investor resonate with your sentiment that the opening cap rate is not as important, especially on deals where the real opportunity is how much you can increase the NOI with new operation. When you're looking at a new offering from a broker for the first time, what does your underwriting look like? Or what does your due diligence look like? And I'm not really asking what are the things you look at necessarily, as much as what are the levers you need to be able to pull and what are the metrics that you need to know that you can move from X to Y by when? Is it, I need to be able to increase the NOI by X percent in the first one year, two years? Is it, what are the key underlying metrics that dictate whether or not a deal is going to have enough value add for you?
1: I guess just looking at the three main areas we add value, or four really, is overall appearance. Of course, the lot rents itself. If it's got very low lot rent, that's the easiest thing we can do. That's the biggest low-hanging fruit. You write a letter and 30 or 60 days later, you raise the rent. So that's a no-brainer. And then submetering water and filling vacant lots. Filling vacant lots is really time-consuming and capital intense, of course. But... Looking at each one of those on an individual basis, as well as the economy and the age of homes, we just take it on an individual basis. So we tailor each offering based on that property. One property in particular, the lot rents were so high, I recently offered it a 10 cap, and they seemed like that was into the ballpark. And the reason we did that is because there was no room to raise rents for the next five years. They were already up above market rates. So we would have had to come in with that spread off the interest rate to get the returns that we're needing. So if you have a different property where the lot rents are at 200, we could pay probably a negative spread on that, something that's super easy to just increase the returns right away. But it's just on an individual basis and looking at our whole operation. And it's pretty easy to know how we're going to put together a rough plan and then just throw down some numbers on a spreadsheet and blow those out and see how it's going to match up. And it's a really cool way to do it too because I had two properties in mind and the numbers never lie. One of them I thought might be better, but it it was out the window and the the one I wasn't considering won the cake all day long with the numbers.
2: Tell us more about those two properties.
1: I'd have to go dig through for the details on those two, but one of them looked lousy and The other one, I had already looked at it before, and we're considering just about as tight as we could get it. And it was just a minimal return that didn't really get us excited about too much once we ran the numbers and looked at it. And then the other one that initially didn't look very exciting got a lot more exciting because now we're looking at 100 plus percent return on investment.
2: Ted, do you all underwrite to the roughly five-year hold period? Well, right now,
1: I've been trying to push it out to about eight or
2: 10 years, especially with the
1: interest rates. And we are losing a deal because the sellers, they are insisting on seller financing, but they won't go past a five-year term. And it's too scary for us. In five years, we might have to refinance at a higher interest rate that could possibly put you upside down on the property. So just for safety and with the interest rates, I really dislike a five-year term right now.
2: Underwriting to an eight- to ten-year hold. Still means that in order to deliver on your business plan and the returns that you're projecting, you're going to sell the property, right? Yeah. Seller cash on refinance. Gotcha. Globally speaking, what kinds of returns are you looking at during that hold period? Or what is it that you're targeting?
1: Well, for our investors, we're targeting first year 10%, and then it goes down to 9 and 8% preferred return. And we're going to do a 50-50 equity split for whatever value we create plus 50-50 cash flow split. So if you throw in the numbers on our last property that we bought, it ends up being a little bit more than 20% cash on cash return. But our minimums are that 10, 9, and 8, and then the equity and cash flow split. So I think if we just keep doing what we've been doing, everybody's going to be really happy with our performance on that. And like I said, anything that makes sense on us, we're offering. And part of that equation of making sense is hitting those returns that we're telling people we can get.
2: Yeah, Chad, I think my question here is in order to hit those projected returns and sell for what you're going to need to sell for, purely from a financial perspective, what is it that needs to be accomplished? What's the metric that you're measuring? Is it obviously a shift in property value? And that shift in property value comes down to NOI. Is there a certain percentage that you know that you need to move the NOI? during a hold period in order to know that you're delivering your returns? No,
1: not off the top of my head. Like I said, we, we plug that into a spreadsheet on an individual property basis, but it's a lot to do with lot rent and projections where we think the fair market value is and how long to get there, because we also only do $50 at a time rent raises. So we don't want to create a hardship for our residents. So it, it can take four or five years to get there if you're on a really undervalued property.
2: at a time on an annual basis? What's the time interval? Every spring. Every spring. Gotcha. So if they're $400 behind, it takes eight years.
1: Yeah, if it was $400 behind, I'd probably consider doing a larger jump than $50. is insanely low. So the residents would know it too. I think a couple $75 moves or something like that to help get up there would be quite appropriate.
2: That makes a lot of sense. You were quoting lot rents in the 600s and lot rents in the 200s. I know if we were talking apartments, I'd have to ask what markets you're in. I know you have some in Michigan. How much do lot rents vary from market to market?
1: It's kind of throughout the Midwest. If you go out on an extreme example to the West Coast, California, there's parks with lot rents, I think over $4,000 a month. Oh, wow. But there's mobile home parks on the beach in Malibu. I just saw one that sold for 5.5 million for one home. Oh, wow. <laughs> right. But throughout the Midwest, it's very common to see lot rents in the high 200s. If you go to some lot rent only states where you see a lot of that from Louisiana to Georgia, where everybody owns park owned homes and their lot rents can be just stupidly low, like 75 or $125 a month. But most of where we operate, 300 ish is very common to pick up parks for around $300 or to see that's what they're charging. And then about half of the two-bedroom apartment rent is a rough rule of thumb on what you can charge for lot rent. So when we look at an economy initially, we want as high of a three-bedroom apartment rent as you can get. The minimum we're shooting for is about $1,000 a month. And that gives you that income disparity or that big difference. And it also drives the demand for our affordable housing too.
2: Chad, I've interviewed several mobile home park investors the last year and a half on this podcast, yourself included. And this is the first time that I'm hearing that metric on how to judge where market rent should be. You said about half of a three-bedroom apartment or a two-bedroom apartment?
1: Rough full of thumbs about half the two-bedroom, but then we're also looking at three bedroom prices we want to add or above a thousand.
2: Gotcha. And that carries out fairly universally then that market lot rent is gonna be about half of the rent of a two-bedroom apartment. Well, let me just say before you answer the question that I just asked, that makes a lot of sense because from the tenant perspective, part of the reason to go to a mobile home park and own the home is the lower carry cost, the lower monthly expense of owning the home and paying lot rent as opposed to an apartment. So 50% of the two bedroom apartment makes a whole lot of sense in a lot of ways. Does that number carry fairly universally? As far as I know,
1: yeah, it's just a rough rule of thumb that I was taught, but it's well, a ridiculous low number too. If you think about it, you get to own your own home for three, 400 bucks a month. Yet, Mobile home park operators are getting all this heat for raising rents that people don't realize how much money it costs to turn around these properties and make them nice again, but they don't want to pay any higher rent. And then what's happening is park owners are repurposing the properties and they're going away. So a lot of rent raises are also needed to keep mobile home parks around.
2: Last question on this topic, as we wind down the interview chat, what are your other rules of thumb when you are doing your back of the napkin math on a mobile home park deal?
1: Probably the biggest rule of thumb I use is expense ratios, which we enjoy over apartment complexes. I've heard they're 50 to 60% expenses. And because we don't do any rentals at all, we're just renting lots to homeowners so that takes out the home maintenance. We have about a 30 to 40% expense ratio depending on what's going on with your utilities. So that's an easy way to figure out your net operating income off the gross income. And then you just throw whatever cap rate on it you'd like to target for your spread or wherever you think you want to be and now you got an offering price.
2: So sticking purely to the, that can be done on the back of a napkin and not making any recommendations on how anyone invests their money. If I want to underwrite my first ever mobile home park deal, Chad, what I need to do is estimate the lot rent as half of whatever the two-bedroom apartment market rent is in the area. I should project a 30 to 40% expense ratio, figure out the cap rate that makes sense for me, and I'm ready to write an offer, right?
1: Pretty much. I'd say maybe... Do a little bit more than that, but at least you can get going with that and maybe call the other park operators and see what they're charging too.
2: Of course, yes, but (laughs) but calling other park operators doesn't fit on the back of a napkin.
1: No, it's easy formula, you know, gross. How many people are paying per month times 12 and then you take off 30, 40% expenses and that's your net. So it's pretty simple.
2: Well... Chad, I've enjoyed catching up with you. We're not going to do the traditional lightning round because you are such a recent guest, but just a couple of questions here. What is the best ever book you recently read? Recently,
1: I haven't gotten all the way through it, but I've really been enjoying Jeff Hoffman's book, Scale. I thought that was a really good read so far. I really like that guy from what I've seen him say.
2: Nice. Last question. Where can people get in touch with you?
1: You can give me a call on my cell phone, 303 303- five, nine, zero, five, five, nine, zero. Or you can find us at MHP investors.com. I'm also on LinkedIn. Just look up Chad Freeman or MHP investors.
2: Those links are in the show notes, Chad. Thank you. Best ever listeners. Thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this episode, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. You know, we can add value to through our conversation today.